the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This human condition that affects both the mind and our flesh was a universal problem when God destroyed the earth with a flood. God's analysis of the human condition at the time of Noah is now a fixed reality and is part of our present human predicament. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the seventh in the Cosmic Controversies series. And you can find this entire series online at reachingyourheart.com. We'll bring you the first portion of this message today entitled, When Demons Became Gods. That's When Demons Became Gods. And you can find all of these messages once again online at reachingyourheart.com, along with many other messages ready for you to listen to there. Let's get underway with the first portion of today's Reaching Your Heart. And here he is, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. When my children were little, we used to play around at the campfires and this kind of thing. And we still do. But now I find that when I wrestle with them, they get the better end of dad. In fact, if they gang up on dad, dad's in trouble. My older son is 18 years of age. My younger son is 15 years of age. They are accomplished woodsmen. They love the great outdoors. And uh, you'd never know, they grew up in the city. In fact, my son, not too long ago, was on a spiritual retreat down in Collegedale Academy. And there was a, a local bully in the school that was a karate expert, jumped on my son. He had no idea who he was messing with. John Michael uh, kind of introduced him to uh, the ground, and, and when it was all over, they made peace and they were friends. I mean, I'm telling you, they've learned how to rough it up and survive the great outdoors. But when they were real small, when they were really giving Dad a hard time out in the woods, I'd pick up my little son and I would say, an offering to the gods. Now, I picked that up from somewhere. I don't have a clue where I picked it up from. Suddenly, they straightened up. It's one of those things that worked. It doesn't work anymore. I pick them up, and I say, an offering to the gods. They say, Dad, you're done. You know, there's something universal. There is a universal collective consciousness. And we know in recent discoveries in psychology in the last century, it has been discovered that mankind possesses such a thing universal to the collective consciousness of the human race is a past in which the gods ruled the earth. It is difficult to even speak of prehistory without recognizing the age of the gods. And before the age of the gods, the worship of the mother deity of the earth, which we know does not exist, but nonetheless it was conceptualized by early man. We know that the first claim that Eve ever made, I have created or I have begotten a man who is the Lord, and she was claiming that somehow Cain was the product of godlike mother power. And this is the most ancient form of religion that we find in the archaeological record. The worship of the mother deed of the earth. 
But in time, the worship of the great mother principle surrendered to a broader form of religion that swept the earth as civilization flowered and it spread abroad and mankind overtook the face of the planet after the flood. You cannot speak of the age of the gods without asking the question, how did it all begin and how does prehistory affect our present history? The Apostle Paul left no doubt in the minds of the early Christians that the diverse list of deities in the world, religions, he made it very clear that they are in fact demons that have gained control over the minds and hearts of men and women and there is no compatibility between the way of Christ and these great world religions. And these demons are significant players, as we learn in Scripture, in the great controversy between Christ and Satan. And they have taken their place in seats of spiritual power. We find them in the halls of political power. And they have claimed to be the gods of this world. In 1 Corinthians 10, 20, 21, Paul is speaking here. He says, No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Paul asserts with deliberate clarity that Christianity is incompatible with the great world religions. I mean, we are living in a day, dear hearts, when ecumenicism has moved into an interfaith ecumenical mode where it is no longer just an attempt to unite Catholics and Protestants, but where the ecumenical mentality has led to the uniting of all world religions and treating every pathway as if it is a legitimate pathway that leads to God. And the Apostle Paul leaves no ground for this. There is no room in the Christian faith for this kind of thinking. Paul asserts with deliberate clarity that Christianity is incompatible with the very premises of the great world religions. You cannot be a Christian and share your faith with other gods. That's what he's saying. You cannot bow down to Christ and bow down to the gods of Hinduism, of Africa, of Japan, or animism, or the things that you find in a secular world that make you feel secure, or any other ism in the world today. You cannot do that and be a Christian. The worship of God in Jesus Christ is a jealous kind of religion because God will not share faith with demons. He will not share fellowship with unclean spirits. We must willingly choose him and root out the rest from our life. In Revelation 12, 9, John tells us that Satan and his army of evil angels were thrown to the earth. I mean, we have a very clear picture of how evil came here. It was an invasion of sorts. Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. If our eyes could be opened today and we could see this dimensional prison that they are in, that they walk the face of the earth so close to us and yet kept by the power of God from infecting human history and destroying us all in a flash of anger, I think our eyes would be open. We'd see things as they really are. In Jude 1, 6, the Bible says, And the angels that did not keep their own positions but left their proper dwelling have been kept by God in eternal chains in the nether gloom until the judgment of the great day. Now, we don't really know what that nether gloom is. It's been called Tartarus in Scripture. But we do know this, that they are kept by God from interacting too closely in history. After the fall of Adam and Eve... We do not see evil angels referred to at all until the Tower of Babel struggle. Instead, the Bible records the impact of moral corruption upon human flesh and culture as almost a cause and effect scientific reality. 
the sin principle that Satan injected into the human mind when he deceived Adam and Eve eventually corrupted all of human flesh. It led to a corruption of the very nature of the human race. So today our minds and our flesh, our natures, are naturally evil. You know, I've met people in the church who sometimes say, you know, Pastor, I, I'm pretty close to being perfect. And I don't like to hear that. Because I, for one, struggle, and I know I'm not anywhere near it. You're looking at me like I'm strange up here. I'm not strange. I'm the normal one. I'm the one that struggles for real existence up here. I know I have a sinful nature. Do you? Well, good. Then you're in the same camp. I don't like it, but I know it's true. Paul says we put no confidence in the flesh. This human condition that affects both the mind and our flesh was a universal problem when God destroyed the earth with a flood. God's analysis of the human condition at the time of Noah is now a fixed reality and is part of our present human predicament. Genesis 6-5, it is describing God's analysis. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I don't know about you, but if you cut on the television, and I got rid of mine a few years ago, that's how it is, right? I have yet to see in the present line of stuff anything that doesn't fit this description. We are living in a time analogous to the pre-flood world. That means man was sinful inside his mind continually. He didn't need help from demons to do evil. He was messed up without their help. So we don't find them really mentioned before the flood as such. Genesis 6:12 and God saw the heart and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Now here God doesn't blame evil angels for the mess of human will and personal violence. He says they did it to themselves. They corrupted themselves. So the prehistory before the flood is not the history of demonic control as such. We don't find it here outlined in scripture. It is the history of the human mind and human flesh that is out of control and corrupted by evil desire. The devil didn't have to do a whole lot before the flood. The human race was a willing agent of evil. And when evil was universal within, God destroyed the earth with a flood. When God saved Noah and his family, he swept away the evil of the pre-flood world and he purged the planet so it could start all over again. In the Genesis account, Noah was a second Adam of sorts. And like Adam, Noah sinned and he falls. His fall is analogous to the fall of Adam. Adam sinned in a garden. Noah planted a vineyard that became the source of his sin. Adam took the forbidden fruit that God commanded him not to touch. Noah drank wine in his tent. The fruit of the grapes became something that led him to sin. Adam, when he sinned, became naked and hid from God. Because of wine, Noah became naked in his tent and his son Ham lusted after him in his nakedness. Can you see the parallels? I mean, what Adam went through, we now see Noah going through. And it led in the sin of Adam to where the earth was cursed and he would not be able to live a life without sweat and toil. Ham's son Canaan was cursed because of the sin of Ham's lust and immorality as Noah lay drunk in his tent. So, I mean, a curse follows in each story, nakedness and curse. So in the book of Genesis, Noah is another Adam. He is the Adam of the new world after the flood. And just like the first Adam, he messes up because of a garden. In the new world, the new forbidden fruit is not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the new world, based on the theology of Genesis, the new forbidden fruit is wine and alcohol or any intoxicating substance that compromises the moral will. 
And we have a strong theology for us to leave it out of our lives altogether and not play with it. Intoxication in any form has become the new source of evil for the world. But even then, there was no direct evidence that demons controlled the world. The sin principle was at work, sure enough, but there was no direct evidence that demons were intimately connected to human life in human form as they would later become as we find them interacting with Jesus in the Gospels. The transition point, there is a transition point of power in the Bible. There is a nexus of realities that occur whereby supernatural forces are aligned with human will and opens up the age of the demons. The Tower of Babel became that place in ancient history where the collective human will opened the forbidden spiritual gateway that unleashed devils upon the earth. It was the place where the pentagram was drawn at the base of a tower, so to speak, and mankind asked for demons to rule the earth and to live as gods among men. Now, there are clues in the Bible that reveal how this happened in the time when demons became gods. In Genesis 10, after the flood, there were 70 nations recorded that emerged from the sons of Noah. And someone says, well, Pastor Mike, how do you know there were 70 nations? You know, sometimes it pays to count. When you see a genealogy or you see something in the Bible, it it pays to sit down and take the hour or two to count. There are 70 nations that came from Noah. And it has been called by scholars the tables of the nations or the table of the nations. Genesis 10 is a record of how God divided the earth after the flood and gave to each nation its specific boundary and inheritance on the earth. And so here he is parceling out the planet for the prodigal race that doesn't want God. It is a story of a prodigal race that asked God for an inheritance and then left God to squander it by worshiping other gods. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses describes what God did when he gave to the nations their inheritance in Genesis 10. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version in this one instance. Now, there are two different ways that this is translated, and we're going to discuss it here. I believe that both text streams that have affected each translation are significant in terms of understanding what's going on here. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will continue in just a moment. Stay tuned. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Or you can stop by our website, reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. Deuteronomy 32.8, Revised Standard Version. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of men, and that means in Genesis 10, when He divides the table of the nations, He fixed the boundaries of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. How many of your Bibles read that way? Some of your Bibles will say He fixed the boundaries according to the number of the sons of Israel. Raise your hand. So it's a split here in the church. And there's a reason why that is. There are two different text streams that affect the translation there. The Revised Standard Version, this verse, agrees with the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Greek Old Testament. 
that was translated in the second century B.C. It states that the 70 nations after the flood corresponded to the number of the sons of God. And so we have in the oldest Hebrew manuscripts that archaeology has been able to find, it says that when God divided up the 70 nations, he made them match the number of the sons of God. And so we ask the question, who are these sons of God? In the Bible, the first sons of God were angels. It's very clear. In the context, they were evil angels here mentioned. The host of heaven are often called sons of God. But here we find the nations no longer under God's control, but under the control of what it calls the sons of God. The loyal ones that remain with God are called the morning stars at creation. They sang with God. Job 38, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or where, where its base is sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and then it says, And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, we know in the book of Job that when the sons of God came to present themselves before God, Satan came as one of the sons of God. So the sons of God doesn't necessarily mean that they were good angels. They could also be evil angels, depending on on how God is addressing them at that time. The Greek Old Testament translates sons of God literally as angels in this verse. The angels shouted for joy. So in this context, the host of heaven were the sons of God. The morning stars, the heavenly choir that sang at the very beginning of the world. They were the angels that rejoiced in God's glory, that lived in God's glory. The Bible describes fallen angels as fallen stars who corrupted themselves and lost their heavenly dwelling forever. They are that part of the host of heaven that has fallen, that has gained dominion over the 70 nations of the earth. And at the Tower of Babel, when the nations were divided up, they chose evil. They deliberately connected themselves with these forces and human history has been radically transformed by a nexus in which a spiritual gateway was opened. According to the Bible, E.T., when I was a kid, this was it. I mean, Steven Spielberg came out with E.T. and he looked like a teddy bear. But E.T. is not cute. E.T. is not cuddly. E.T. is evil and he has taken his residence on planet Earth. Revelation 12:4, speaking of Satan, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child. There's no missing the significance here. A third of the stars, a third of the sons of God who were the heavenly host were thrown down to the earth with Satan. And according to the Greek Old Testament and the Dead Sea Scrolls, God, after the flood, according to Deuteronomy 32, 8, he divided the nations to match 70 of those fallen sons of God. Now this idea is supported in Deuteronomy 4.19, which is an amazing verse in the Bible. In fact, this verse will surprise you. You'll read this verse and you'll say, well, how could God do that? Now I'm going to tell you something. I don't like it when people come to the Bible and they say, well, we're going to take our understanding of God and we're going to impose it upon the Scriptures so that we make it say what we want to say. Is that a bad way to go? Yeah, it is. Wouldn't it be better to understand a verse that's hard to understand rather than make it go away? Yes or no? It would. So let's look at a hard to understand verse. Deuteronomy 4.19. It says, And beware lest you lift up your eyes to heaven. Now God is speaking to Israel. Beware lest you lift up your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun 
and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and worship them and serve them, things which the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. And that's an amazing text. The Hebrew word is even worse than the English translation. It's the word for divide. He has divided for them to have this. In other words, he's given it to them as their inheritance, as he divided up the world. He let them do this. He gave it to them. It gives the ideas as if somehow God said, okay, you worship evil angels. You worship the host of heaven. God gave to the nations as their allotment or inheritance or division to worship the host of heaven. So what point did God give the nations over to worship the host of heaven? The evidence suggests it happened at the Tower of Babel when they tried to reach the heavens, when they tried to build a tower that would reach up into the heavens, and they weren't silly enough to think they could escape a global flood that way. These were powerful intellects that built that tower. They were seeking some kind of intervention to prevent global catastrophe, control the world and the universe, and to repel them perhaps to the stars itself. They were thinking of a global civilization. Genesis 11.1, Now the earth had one language and few words. And as men migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Three times they said, Let us make, let us build, let us make. Now that sounds like something in the book of Genesis. What does it sound like? It sounds like creation. When God the Father... God the Son and God the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. And at the Tower of Babel, the rebels said, let us make, let us build, let us make. And it's very clear, let us do this without God. The Tower of Babel is that point in time when man starts to play God with the hope of unifying the world in a single religious, political, and economic structure that is meant to keep the race from division and bring the the human race together. And notice verse 4 very carefully. Look at it again. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the, what does it say? In the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Two concepts synchronize in this verse. First, they attempted to reach the heavens. They were not thinking of the earth. They were thinking of the heavens. If you study ancient Egyptian religion and culture as well as the ancient Babylonians. They thought of their future destiny, not here on earth, but somewhere in the stars in the heavens. Secondly, they sought to make a name for themselves to prevent scattering. So why would they want to reach the heavens to accomplish this? Why would they want to build a tower that would reach to the host of heaven? It's because they knew that power was there. They knew that intelligence had come from there to here, and they wanted to harness that energy and power to affect the human future. According to Deuteronomy 4.19, they sought to worship the host of heaven. They were asking for supernatural power to to sustain a one-world civilization. That means they were attempting to contact fallen angels. They wanted demonic intervention. They wanted the gods, so to speak, to break the boundary that God had created at the fall of Lucifer. And they wanted to use these powerful beings to help propel human society forward. So what did God do when he saw this happening? This was the beginning of global rebellion. What did he do? 
in the text, he came down, he inspected the tower, and he decided to divide the nations up so they could not unify to achieve their evil ends. Let them go and worship the host of heaven. So here he saw them rebelling against him. And as the father in the prodigal son story, he let them go into a far off country. He scattered them upon the face of the earth. And according to Deuteronomy 4.19, he gave it as their inheritance to worship the host of heaven. In verse 17, God reasserts his power over evil by using the same words as the tower builders. Genesis 11.7, he says, Come, let us go down. It's creation imagery all over again. And let us there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The name Babel comes from the ancient Babylonian Akkadian language, and it means gateway to the gods. At the Tower of Babel, they built a tower that was a gateway to the gods. That means they invoked the aid of evil angels. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for When Demons Became Gods. We'll continue with this message next time we get together here on Reaching Your Heart. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.